The first reading's on page 400, it's uh, Psalm 39. I said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth as long as the wicked are in my presence. But when I was silent and still, not even saying anything good, my anguish increased. My heart grew hot within me, and as I meditated, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. Man is a mere phantom as he goes to and fro. He bustles about, but only in vain. He heaps up wealth, not knowing who will get it. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. Save me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of fools. I was silent. I would not open my mouth, for you are the one who has done this. Remove your scourge from me. I am overcome by the blow of your hand. Your rebuke and you rebuke and discipline men for their sin. You consume their wealth like a moth. Each man is but a breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Be not deaf to my weeping. For I dwell with you as an alien, a stranger as all my fathers were. Look away from me, that I may rejoice again before I depart and am no more. The second reading comes from James, and it's chapter 4, verse 13. And it's found on page 856. Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? Your mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who are not opposing you.
you just joined us, we're in the middle of a series in the book of James, and tonight we come to these quite stern words, and in many ways uh, difficult words to hear, but we need to hear them, so I'm going to pray that the Spirit would teach us tonight. Uh, Father, I want to thank you that your word continues to shape us and refine us. Lord, we acknowledge that sometimes that's hard, uh, but we do pray that your spirit would teach uh, those of us, all of us, what we need to hear tonight. Uh, Father, please would you clear our minds, soften our hearts, because we want to know you better. We want to be more like your son, and I pray that for his name's sake. Amen. I want you to think back uh, just six months. Just cast your mind back six months and think of those hundreds, thousands, millions of people who were so secure. They had everything. Good job, stocks and shares, nice house, and yet just overnight the, the stock market plummets by what, 10%, 20%, 30%, and seemingly secure people are, are left penniless. And they had great plans for their life. Uh, they were in control of their life, they were in c- control of their future, but no, no, overnight it just comes crashing down. Uh, the experts were predicting that the, uh, the Aussie dollar would reach uh, parity with the US dollar. But they were wrong, and overnight it just plummeted 60 cents, and people lost millions. One guy I spoke to who worked for Learman's, he lost $2 million overnight. $2 million overnight, and he lost his home, lost his job, and lost everything. Oh, imagine that you live in North Queensland, and you decided that you're just going to renovate your house, and you have spent the last year, and you've renovated the bedrooms, and the bathrooms, and the living rooms, and the gardens, and it's looking perfect, and then, overnight, the floods come. And it wipes away your house, and you've lost everything. Imagine that you live in Kindlake, in Victoria. And 2009 was going to be the year when you were going to have a great year. You planned the great backyard barbecue. You're going to invite your friends. You'd re-turfed. You've got this great new barbecue. You're going to do it in April. But then the bushfires come through, and they destroy your backyard. More than that, they destroy your house. And yes, they kill 200 people. And you had all these great plans for your life and great plans for the year and it comes to nothing. It was 1987 in the UK when the stock markets crashed again by 23%. Uh, and one man wrote this in the Time magazine. He said, I drove, to, I drove my Porsche anxiously to work that day, desperate to see what I could salvage. And I smiled as I thought of that man I see regularly with the sandwich board saying, the end of the world is nigh. And he smiled because no one really believes that God has any control over stock markets or finances or storms or bushfires, do they? Because it's my life and I'm in control of my life. God's in control of the big things of life like salvation and, and eternity and church things. But the day to day... 
It's in my diary, it's in my calendar, it's on my iPhone, and so it's going to happen because my plotting and my planning, and I'm in control of my life, aren't I? And James turns around and says, no, no, you're not. God's in control of all things in life, the big things and the small things. And you've got to learn that your life is in God's hands. That's the big lesson tonight. Uh, Be humble, because your life is in God's hands. Uh, Be humble, your life is in God's hands. James is talking to to Christian entrepreneurs. Look at verse 13 with me. Uh, Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, and we'll spend a year there, and we'll carry on business, and we will make money. He's talking to men who have prospered, and they're busy planning to expand their business. They're obviously wealthy because they've got money to travel and they're busy planning. So verse 13, they set the departure date, today or tomorrow. Uh, they worked out where to go, to this or that city. They decided how, to spend, how long to spend there. Spend about a year there, that would be good in the CV. And we're going to carry on business and hey, we're even going to make profit. We're going to make money. See how the, the when and the where and the how long, they're all planned, they're all plotted in their mind because they're in control, aren't they? And James condemns and talks to these, these, these financial people and these city planners. He's talking to those kind of people, the people with the stocks and the shares. No, no, he's talking to the person who comes to me and says, I've decided next year I'm going to go to university and I'm going to retrain for three years and then I'm going to have this career for the next 20 years. He's talking to the couple who come to me and say, we're going to get married in September, we're going to plan this great big wedding day, and then we'll buy a house in two years' time, and then we're going to go overseas for a bit. He's talking to the couples who I meet regularly who say, we're not going to have kids for two, three, four years, we want to just enjoy life a bit, and then we'll start a family, and then we'll settle down. He's talking to the people who are planning to run an Ironman in two weeks' time, because all in the diary, it's going to happen, isn't it? He's talking to you and talking to me. He's talking to people who have got our lives sorted because, hey, I'm in control. And you plot and you plan just like I do. We set goals, we have a schedule, you work out your holidays, you map out what's going to happen next week and next month and next year, and every day you've got meetings upon meetings. They're going to happen, aren't they? Because, hey, you're in control of things. James isn't against planning. We've got to plan. But what James is against is that arrogant, self-centered attitude which says that my plans will happen because I'm in control. Look at verse 13 again. He says, now listen. It's a really sharp rebuke. Now listen, like a father rebuking his child. Now listen, you who say, we will. Spot those two words, we will. Of course we will. Because in the diary, it's going to happen. He says, now listen you people, you're arrogant and you, you strut around as though you own the place and you think and act as though your plans must happen because you're in control of your life. Well, you're not. And James says, you're arrogant, you're fundamentally wicked, it's evil, it's boastful and it is sinful. That's the shock of verse 17. Anyone then who, who knows the good he ought to do, that good is to bring God into the picture and to humble yourself before God. If you know you ought to do that, but you don't do it, well, you sin, verse 17. 
See, when we say the confession again in church, I pointed out a few weeks ago, we, we confess sins like you know, pride or selfishness or lying or impurities, but how often do you actually think about plotting and planning without being got into the picture as being sinful? But it is sinful because in reality you're forgetting God. That's at the root of it, forgetting God. So you go about life as though... Uh, you're in charge and there's no reference to God at all and you've just become accustomed to it. Oh, you'll think about God maybe once a day or on a Sunday, but most of your life is about you, isn't it? And me. I reckon this is so prevalent and so huge in our congregations and we just don't spot it. It's a bit like when you walk into somebody's house and you, know, you walk into their front door and you just go, oh, that is disgusting. Oh, the bins are disgusting. Oh, why don't they change the bins in this house? How can they live here? They can live there because they've got used to the smell. It's like any smell. You just live with it and get used to it and you become accustomed to it. That's like plotting and planning with no reference to God. We just get used to it. We do it every day. And it doesn't shock us. And James says, no, no, it's sinful. Actually, verse 16 is... It's evil, because you boast and you brag about what you're going to do, and that's evil. It's a strong word, because to forget God is an evil thing to do. How do you feel when people forget you? How do you feel when your relatives forget you exist? How do you feel when your loved ones, your husband, your wife... Remember last week we looked at God being your husband? How do you feel when your husband or your wife forgets you? It's evil, isn't it? Well, to live here on earth and think that you're in control is evil. I just thought about my week. Planned a meeting, made lots of decisions, wrote out a training schedule, planned a preaching program at church, planned some property redevelopment, started thinking about a new church plant, talked with someone about beach missions, planned getaway, planned a holiday, started to plan my long service leave, planning, planning and planning, and there's nothing wrong with that as long as you have the attitude if God wills. That humility which says, actually it might not happen. See, the shock is there in verse 14 as well. They're chilling words, verse 14. Look at them with me. See, the people are saying, today or tomorrow we'll go to this place and we'll spend a year there, we'll carry on business, we'll make money. And God says, why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're just a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. You think you're so important, but remember you're just here for a little while, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, like a mist, here for a while and then you're gone. And the people said we will and God says you don't even know. And the people planned for a year and God says you can't be sure about tomorrow. And the people thought they were independent and God says no, no, you're ignorant. Because life can change so unexpectedly, can't it? Chat to anybody who lost millions in the last six months and they'll tell you how their life has changed. They didn't expect it. Chat to the person who lost a loved one uh, by a sudden heart attack. Chat to the person who was sitting on that commuter train when there was a head-on collision and their life has changed unexpectedly. Because life is just transitory. Life is short. Life is insecure. Listen to these verses from Job. Job 7, My life is but a breath. 
As a cloud vanishes, so my life is gone. Psalm 102, my days are like the evening shadow, I wither away like grass. Psalm 39, each man's life is but a breath. Proverbs 27, don't boast about tomorrow, for you don't know what a day may bring forth. And James says, you strut around plotting and planning as though you're in charge, but you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. You might not be here tomorrow. In my 39 years on earth, God's been kind of drumming this lesson home to me time and time and time again. I remember as a a six-year-old, my parents planning this great big family holiday. (laughs) But it didn't happen. Why? Because my brother was diagnosed with cancer, and so we changed all our plans. I remember as a 20-year-old, getting this great job in the city, uh, a vacation job. I was studying university, got a great job in the city, some great vacation work. That didn't happen either, because my dad died, and all my plans changed. I I remember uh, being at Bible college with a a good friend called Ben. He was training for the ministry. It was his plan to go into the ministry, to serve God full-time, but that didn't happen either, because he went home one night and he died in his sleep. Nothing wrong with him. He died in his sleep, never woke up, age 28. A girl I taught at youth group, age 12, she was there on the Friday, She died on the Monday. Life is like that. And yet we live as though next week and next month and next year, it's all in our diary, it's going to happen, isn't it? Please remember that your life and my life and my tomorrow, your tomorrow, it's not in your hands, it's in God's hands. There's only a heartbeat between us and death and we don't know how long God has given us. He's not condemning planning, but it's that arrogance that confidence that you know what's going to happen is condemning. He says, be humble. How do you plan? Verse 15. He says, no, instead you ought to say, you should say, if it's the Lord's will, we'll live and we'll do this or that. Love those verses. If it's the Lord's will. It's just that humility. It's that dependence. It's recognizing that God's mighty hand controls everything. And he will ultimately decide what happens and what doesn't happen. If it's the Lord's will, it's the Latin you might have heard of, Dei Valente, or DV, God willing. It's not a, a superstitious formula. It's not a kind of Christian touch word. Please don't start saying God willing at the end of every sentence. It's not a pious Christian jargon. But it's an attitude which says in your mind and in your heart, you know that your plans might come to nothing. Unless God allows it to happen, Deo Valente, God willing, plan ahead all you want, but do it with that humility. Notice those three words in verse 15. If it's the Lord's will, next three words, we will live and do this or that. He doesn't say, if it's the Lord's will, we will do this or that. He says, if it's the Lord's will, we'll live. Because the only reason I'm standing here breathing today is because God has willed it. The only reason I've got breath today is because God has allowed it. Everything I enjoy today and tomorrow and the next day is at the mercy and grace of God. If it's the Lord's will, then I'll I'll wake up tomorrow morning and I'll do this and I'll do that. But if it's not, then I'll go to glory. That's the attitude you've got to adopt. Uh, The Apostle Paul had that attitude when he went about preaching and teaching in the first century. Look at some of his sentences. Acts 18, as Paul left, he promised, I will come back. 
if it's, if it's the Lord's will. Church in Rome, I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come back to you. 1 Corinthians 4, I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing. See the humility, see the dependence. Uh, think about our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, heading for the cross, heading for Jerusalem. Uh, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's pleading with God, you know, if there's any other way. And what does he say? He says, not my will, but your will. It's not about my plans, what I want, God, but what you want. My Heavenly Father, what you want, and I'll do that. Well, we say it every day, don't we? Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your will be done today, Lord. Whatever you've got in store for me, that will happen today. Please adopt that, that humility. Every breath comes from God. Your plans may prosper or they may not. See, the world brags and the world boasts about what it will do and how it will succeed. But we're followers of Christ. And as Christians, we should say, the small print of my life and the big print of my life is in your hands, God. So instead of seeing life as a continuing right, please see it as a daily mercy and be humble before your God. That's the first point. Be humble. Your life's in God's hands. Secondly, and more briefly, uh, be warned. Be warned because your wealth can drag you away from God. See, James then turns his attention to, to rich people. He has another, now listen, in, in chapter 5, verse 1. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that's coming upon you. He, he turns to people, he says, you are rich and, and you are wealthy and you're in danger and you're in trouble because your wealth has the potential to drag you away from God. So repent and weep and wail. Uh, lots of people have, have um, debated who he's writing to here because the language is so harsh. You know, uh, your flesh is rotting, the day of slaughter is harsh, harsh language. And people say, how can he be talking to Christians because we're saved by grace, we're, we're secure, aren't we? He's got to be talking to Christians because why would he write a, le- a letter to the church and then suddenly turn to people who are not there. Why would he suddenly say, listen you rich people who are outside of this building, no, he's talking to Christians who are rich, to believers who are rich, and he's warning them. He's saying, you are rich people, but be warned, because actually your wealth could drag you away from God and could cost you your salvation. So listen sharp. Take note. And Paul's already said in 1 Timothy that the, the love of money is a root of all kind of evil. And throughout the Bible it says, be warned that your security is not in your wealth, but it's in your Saviour Jesus Christ. He's not writing these verses here to comfort you or to cuddle you, but, but to challenge you. Because the world measures success by wealth. He says, don't flirt with the world, don't drift into the world. It's tough to be a Christian and to be rich. And I have to say, some of us here are in danger, in grave danger, because we start to love money more than we love God. And we're sucked in by the world. And then that last day, on Judgment Day, it could be very ugly if you've drifted further and further away from Christ until you have no relationship with Christ. It's all about you and your wealth. Let me highlight three dangers, three reasons why why James says repent, weep and wail. The first danger is this. Selfish hoarding. 
Verse 2, your wealth has, literally it says, your wealth is rotting. That's a tense. Your wealth is rotting. The moths are eating your clothes. Your gold and your silver are corroding. And the corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh. You've hoarded wealth. You've hoarded wealth in the last days. In that days between the resurrection and the return of Jesus, you've hoarded all your wealth. He's not talking about prudent saving. He's talking about extravagant and selfish hoarding. He says, you know, you've got wardrobes full of clothes that you never wear. You've got gold and silver and gadgets lying around in boxes unopened. And you're going to stand before the judgment seat of God and all your material wealth will be left behind completely and utterly worthless. The car will left to, be left to rust your house you'll leave to somebody who will just knock it down or renovate it. Your gold jewelry, I've seen this happen time and time again. Your gold jewelry, well, the relatives will fight over that. And the person who finally gets it will put it in a box somewhere and it will sit in the box for 20 years until they die and then more relatives will fight over it again. Your house and my house are stuffed with things and possessions I hate the word things and stuff that we fill our lives with and we think they're important. But they're worthless. They're just nothing. And be warned that if your identity and your security is in those things, you'll stand before God in the last day and he will say, great, you had a high definition television in every room, but did you use your wealth to help those in really in need? Fantastic, you could afford to renovate your holiday home. But did you give generously to the work of the gospel? Because that's why we're given wealth. To use for the glory of God and to, to serve him faithfully and to help those in need. Nothing wrong with being rich as long as you're generous. Are you hoarding? Are you stacking up for things for the future? For that rainy day? But you could be struck down tomorrow. Please hear me rightly. You need that right balance between prudent saving and sinful hoarding. The second danger is called exploitation. It's in verse 4. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. He's saying, look, people worked for you. They did a day's work and yet you refused to pay them. You exploited them. You trod on them, you bullied them, or verse 6, you condemned and murdered them, even though they were doing nothing against you. See, in James's day, uh, the worker in the field would be paid at the end of each day. If they didn't get their daily wage, they couldn't buy any bread, and without any bread, they would starve to death. He turns to these rich people and he says, you guys, you girls, uh, you're just exploiting people. They're working for you, but you're not feeding them. And you think you can get away with it. Because no one sees. They're just poor people. You can oppress them. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy 24 says this. Don't take advantage of a hired man who is poor and needy, whether he's a brother Israelite or an alien living in one of your towns. Pay him his wages each day before sunset, because he's poor and counting on it. Otherwise he may cry out to the Lord against you, and you'll be guilty of sin. Because we think that we're important because we have money and we think we can abuse people and play power games and nobody will see, will they? 
But God sees and God hears and God will judge. That's what James says, the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Reminds me of Genesis 4 where Cain's blood, remember that Cain's blood cried out to the Lord for justice. And James says, because you're rich, you think you can treat people the way that you want, but you can't, because God sees. Just think about the people that you might have exploited this week, you might have abused this week, people you might have uh, fiddled out of something that they deserve this week. It's wrong, isn't it? Selfish hoarding, exploitation, lastly, selfish indulgent lifestyles. Self-indulgent lifestyles. Verse 5, you've lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You've lived here on this planet denying yourself nothing. Nothing. You've lived in pleasure. If you want clothes, you go out and bore them. If you want a new gadget, just go out and buy it. Ah, oh, look, I'm, I'm really tired. I'm exhausted, so... Uh, I need to fly to Fiji for the weekend or I need to plan a holiday trip to Japan just for skiing, just for a week because I'm tired and I need refreshment. We have so much, friends. God has blessed us with great riches. But when we start to do what we want, when we want to do it and we give no thought to God and his kingdom and his glory and your life is all about what you want and what your money can buy you, you're in trouble. You're in real trouble because you're drifting away from Jesus. Nothing wrong with doing some of those things, but when that becomes your focus and your priority, you're in danger. James gives a brilliant example in verse 5. He says, you fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. It's like the cattle in the field and they think they're important and they're receiving all these extra special meals, they're living a life of care luxury, and they're completely oblivious to the fact that they're actually being fattened for the abattoir. And God is kind of saying, I give you lots, I've been generous to you, please make sure that you're not just fattening yourself with life luxuries. So you'll stand before judgment day and you'll say, actually, I've drifted so far away from Christ. See, there's a fine line between living life with basic necessities and living life with unnecessary luxuries. Living life with basic necessities and living life with unnecessary luxuries. And you and I want to know what that line is, don't we? Tell us a line. And God doesn't. God just says, you know, make sure you store treasures in heaven and not treasures here on earth. It will be different lines for different people. You know how you use your wealth. You know whether you're generous or not. And you know whether your wealth is causing you to move away from God and you're starting to love your wealth more than you love money, more than you love God. You're starting to love your wealth more than you love people. I find this hard because I like like gadgets and I like nice clothes with nice labels and it's easy to be worldly. And James says to know, be warned. The language is so harsh, isn't it? Misery, flesh like fire, cries of the harvesters, day of slaughter. Because God knows that that money is is a high-risk area. It's hard to be wealthy and to walk humbly with your God. Let me tell you about a guy who does it really well. There's a guy I know who is, he's probably a multi-millionaire. He has, he wants for nothing. He earns a fortune. Yet to look at him, you would never guess it. He lives in a nice house, 
but not opulent and not over the top. And he drives a nice car, but it's not excessive. He just has the one car. Uh, He earns millions, and yet he gives most of it away. He gives most of it away to people who need it, people in need. He gives most of it away to support Christian workers in this country and overseas. He gives most of it away spontaneously or planned. Why does he do that? I'll tell you why, because he loves Jesus. And he knows that life is not about the here and now, but life is about eternity. And he wants more and more people to know about Jesus. And he knows his identity is not caught up in whether he wears the designer suit or he drives a fast car, but his identity is in Christ. And there's a man who's understood James chapter 4 and 5. He's a very generous man. Why? Because he loves Jesus. And James' challenges to you is this. How do you see your life now? Is your life all about the here and now and about your plans and your months and your next year and your years to come? Or is it about eternity? And is your life now all about your wealth and your possessions and your things and your stuff and your gadgets? Or is your life about Christ and eternity? James says, be humble and be warned. Because you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. So rest in Christ, trust in God's sovereignty, and be humble before him. Let me pray. Father, how good it is to know that our little lives are in your mighty and powerful hands. How good it is to know that you control every aspect of our lives. How good it is to know that whatever happens is according to your will. How humbling that is, Lord. How good it is, Lord, to know that you've given us so much to be used for your glory and for the good of others. Lord, humble us, refine us, change us. Help us to live for Jesus and for him alone. In his mighty name I pray. Amen. I'm going to give you a moment to pray by yourselves, to maybe jot down a question, and then we're going to go into a time of open prayer. Um, You can just call out where you are, just stay seated and just pray for something, maybe it's a missionary, maybe it's a ministry, maybe something God has challenged you about in tonight's talk. And then we'll finish by singing uh, two songs together. So a time of reflection. I'll kick us off in the time of open prayer. Just short prayers, asking God or thanking God. And then we'll finish by two songs. Father, I pray for those who are in need tonight, for those who are helpless, 
and ask that you would provide for them richly. Amen. Our Father, you've given us so much. Uh, We are thankful. Uh, We're grateful. And Lord, I pray that for this church, for every person here, that you would keep us dependent and humble upon you. Uh, Lord, accept these prayers. Uh, Pray that your will be done in our lives in this church, uh, both uh, this week and in the coming weeks and months. We ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen.